Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This week, we're in conversation with Dr. Claire St. Peter's. Claire has been our guest before. In fact, she was one of our panelists in the previous podcast series where we were talking with participants in my online clinics. So part of her introduction is that Claire is a horse person. But in addition to being a horse person, Claire is also a behavioral analyst. She teaches at West Virginia University, where her research focuses on improving outcomes for children who struggle in school. And and one of the areas of particular interest to her is extinction, and in particular, the generative effects of extinction. I had the very great pleasure last year of collaborating with Claire on an article on loopy training that was published in the Journal of the Experimental Analysis of Behavior. It was tremendous fun working with Claire on that article. We were bringing two very different frames of reference together to write the article. And because we both enjoyed the collaboration, I've been itching to get Claire back on the podcast. So I asked her to join us again for another conversation. Claire picked the topic. We're going to be talking about extinction. But before I jump in, I want to make one brief announcement. I have a new book coming out soon. It's very exciting. And assuming I don't encounter any major speed bumps along the way, the publication date is set for April 26, 2023. That's the anniversary of Peregrine's birthday. So very appropriate, I think. I'll tell you more about the book at the end of the podcast. For now, let's jump into the start of our conversation with Claire. And I'll tell you in advance that this is a fascinating conversation, and you will probably want to take notes, but not if you're driving. If you're driving, you'll have to focus on the road and take notes later. So here we go. So Claire, where do you want to begin with extinction? Let's start with what extinction is, just in case listeners aren't familiar with that term or they've heard the term, but maybe it was used in a way different from how I'm going to use it today. Yes. Yes. So I'm going to talk about how behavior analysts talk about extinction, and then you guys can nudge me to talk about it in different ways. But when behavior analysts talk about extinction, there's two kinds of extinction. So there's extinction of respondent processes. So it's also called classical extinction or Pavlovian extinction. This is extinction of things like fear conditioning, you know, uh, emotional responses. An example would be what? So the classic example when we teach classes is Pavlov's dogs, right? So you have bell paired with food, bell paired with food, bell paired with food. Now bell elicits salivation by itself. And then if you do bell, 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 then it no longer elicits salivation over time. So that's extinction, but it's extinction of that paired response. So an example in the horse training world, if you believe that clickers function as conditioned reinforcers, which may or may not be true, but let's just take that as a premise for 
I'm gonna, so if the click is functioning as a conditioned reinforcer, it's probably doing that because of that Pavlovian process, right? Click, treat, click, treat, right. click, treat, right. click, treat. But if someone then said, well, I've done this click treat long enough. Now I'm just gonna click. There's never gonna be treats anymore. And yep. now I just click, click, click. Uh, the click stops functioning. And that's that would be one kind of extinction. That's respondent or Pavlovian extinction. Okay. Yeah, on that one, you hear that quite a lot. But I haven't heard it recently. But when I was first exploring clicker training, I saw a lot of people who were making that connection. Oh, I've set up the pairing, and now I can get away from the food because the click now has meaning. So I don't have to reinforce. I can just click, right? <laughs> and, and it's like, no, you can't. And, and of course, that was... The interesting part of that is what is it about providing reinforcers that people were running away from? But that's another rabbit hole, but we'll wait to go down that one. Yes. And, and I have opinions on that. Like, why are people more afraid of positive reinforcers than negative reinforcers, which I think is another interesting Ooh, rabbit hole. Should we, should, we, should we just go ahead and dive down into that one so we don't forget? Nope. Nope, we're going to hold it. We're going to hold Dominique's it. Dominique's going to write it down. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. Hold it. <laughs> okay. That's that's a whole, that's a topic kind of far afield from extinction, I think. Okay. So yes. let's not get too, too far away, but okay. that's a good teaser for some other yes. time. Yes. Then in behavior analysis, we have what we call operant extinction. So operants are just, that operate on the environment. They're maintained by a consequence. So instead of thinking about that pairing procedure, right? Like the pairing was all about what the handler was doing. It was clicking and providing the food. There wasn't really the, the behavior of the learner was elicited. It's, it's salivation. It's that emotional response. It's not anything that the, the learner is actively doing. When we talk about operants, we're talking about behavior that's skeletal behavior, right? Like the things that we can do on purpose, so to speak. So that is like, now my horse goes into a beautiful grown-ups and am I providing a reinforcer for that or not? And if I'm not, then that's operant extinction. So okay. now it's a behavior reinforcer. Relation. So I've been standing next to my horse, clicking and treating my beautiful horse for these wonderful grown-ups where he's taking his nose away from my pocket. He's standing in beautiful stillness. Then my cell phone rings or somebody asks a question and I take my focus off my horse and my horse goes into beautiful grown-ups, but I'm on my cell phone and I don't respond to my horse. So I've now put him into an extinction process. Would that be inaccurate? Yep. Okay. That's accurate. Okay. And I think I have so much, I'm so impressed by trainers who do clinics because I think that's like the hardest thing is to really like, I'm answering questions from the crowd, but also I am working with this horse and I'm keeping good cycles in place. And that is a real testament to being fluent with lots of responses, right? Because otherwise you're letting something go unreinforced and either your crowd gets disengaged because you're not answering their questions and you're not talking to them or your horse is now in, ex yep. in yep. extinction. And so it's bad for somebody no matter what, but that's all, that's all you're that is maintained by consequences, right? So the engagement of the crowd maintained by consequences, the grown-ups of your horse maintained by its consequences. And so that's all behavior that we would classify as operant behavior. And so that's the kind of behavior that I'm going to talk a little bit more about 
today because that's like where my interest in extinction lies. Okay. The, the form of operant behavior, but it's useful to think that we're always interacting with both of these systems at the same time, right? Like if we're using clicker training with horses, we have this respondent component of the click and the food where we're doing these pairings and we've got the contextual pairings of where we're teaching that's going to come into play with both kinds of extinction and we've got the behavior that we're deliberately trying to teach so i'll i'll tip into operant things a little bit more but they're all 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 everything's connected to everything else like some smart person once told me i've heard that so when behavioralists talk about extinction we talk about it in three ways One is as a procedure. So this is what we do when we implement extinction. So that's the discontinuation of a reinforcement, right? So my horses, I've been reinforcing grownups and now I'm not, I've discontinued the reinforcer. And prototypically that means that the reinforcer is gone. I'm on my cell phone. I'm talking to the crowd. There just aren't treats coming. But another way that you can think about it is by breaking the fancy word is the response reinforcer dependency. And that just means that does that delivery of the food depend on the response or not? So another way that you can implement extinction, interestingly, and people don't tend to think about this way, is I can just start giving food. The food's not dependent on any behavior. I'm just giving food. Okay. And that phenomenon actually has some of the same effects as other forms of extinction. Oh, interesting. So we definitely need to talk about that. Yeah. Okay. So keep going. Okay. So that's the procedural side. There's two procedures. Well, there's lots of procedures, but I can either drop out the reinforcers or I can make it so that the, my learner isn't earning the reinforcers anymore. The reinforcers are just coming. So I don't want to break your line of thought. No. But would so let's say I am talking to a crowd and I've been demonstrating grown-ups are talking with treats. And now because there are all these questions coming, I just ask my helper to give the horse a little bit of hay. Mm-hmm. I don't see this as extinction, is it? It might be. Ooh. <laughs> So I would have some questions for you. Here's my first question. Were you using hay to reinforce grownups? I was using something else. So that changes the puzzle. That changes that. That's an important answer to that question because. Ooh, I'm liking this. (laughs) (laughs) Because that changes your context a little bit. Mm -hmm. Right. So now the food is gone, but hay is there. And you might say like, well, but that addition of hay changes the context. Right. And if you've taught that beforehand, right, like when the hay comes out, this is what's expected, then hay becomes signaled extinction. So here's my other question. Would you expect your horse under those conditions to continue to engage in a beautiful grownups? No. Or would your horse stop and eat hay? I would expect him to stop and eat hay while I answer the questions. And I bet if you had did that at home where you practice, you thought like, I'm going to get a lot of questions. I'm going to need to answer them. I'm going to have my assistant bring my horse hay. And you practice that at home. When that hay comes out, your horse would go straight to eating the hay. If this was the first time that that hay had come out and you had been on a pretty frequent cycle 
a pretty clean loop, pretty tight. You were doing lots of reinforcers for grownups. And then all of a sudden you discontinue that and you turn the other way. And now there's hay there. You would get rid of grownups. You might get rid of it by replacing it yeah. with eating hay. You might get rid of grownups in a way that looks a lot more like some of the undesirable pieces of extinction you might get. But it is, in fact, extinction for grownups at that moment. Okay. So extinction's not, it's interesting because when you get really yeah, into yeah, the, yeah. the weeds of it, right? Like there's lots of ways that extinction can happen and they're not all they're not all prototypical. They're not all this, like, but there's no reinforcers and everything is bad. Right. And so it, that's why I think about it that way, right? So, like, and it's, there's no reinforcers and everything is bad. And I'm like, well, no, that's not really like. So let's say I have been giving hay pellets uh -huh. and my horse really likes hay pellets. And so while I'm answering the question, I'm just going to throw more hay pellets in a little bowl next to us to my horse and I, instead or, of actual hay, the same. So I'm going to throw. Or, or one thing you, that you might see is I've been forcing for grownups and building duration, but now I'm not going to be able to pay attention, but I don't want you mugging me. So I'm just going to feed, 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 feed while I talk to the crowd. Cause I see that as well. So okay. what are those two scenarios? Okay. Y'all are testing me today. I like this. It's like, like, let's think about how, how this might pan out. I'm going to take them one at a time. So I'm going to take Dominique's first. So Dominique's scenario was, I want to talk to the crowd. I'm just going to nonchalantly throw hay pellets. I'm going to take the same reinforcer that I was using, but now I'm going to nonchalantly throw them in a bucket that I conveniently happen to be standing next to in the arena, right? Exactly. Like I've set up the world appropriately. Yeah. In that situation, I think it's my gut on that would be is it would be the same as your person giving hay. Have you taught your horse to eat pellets from a bucket? And have you taught them that the kind of appropriate response when that happens is like when your head pops up, there's going to be another handful of pellets is going to land in the bucket and then you eat those. And then when your head pops up, because you if you've taught that you've created a different loop with a different discriminative stimulus, right? Like when we're standing in front of a bucket and pellets go in the bucket, you eat the pellets, you pop your head up, you get more pellets, your head goes back in the bucket. And you've taught that as a loop and it's under this stimulus control. I think your audience is gonna know enough to know those words. It's under the control of that context, right? Like when we're standing next to a bucket and pellets are in the bucket, this is the loop that we're doing. That would depend on you having taught that. I would not bust that out at the clinic for the okay. first time. But what if I finished answering the question, the bucket is still on the ground, and now I want to resume doing grown-ups or talking with my hip pellet being fed from my hand, but the bucket is still on the ground. Do you have really good control with folding your hands in front of your person to mm. get grown-ups? Because if okay. so, you've shifted the context again and you've okay. put another discriminative stimulus in place and you'll get that beautiful change in behavior. And essentially what you have, what <laughs> we use all the fancy words today. So the fancy word for that is a multiple schedule. So you have signaled to your horse, like now we are doing grownups and you will be doing things and I'm going to be feeding you out of my hand. And now when I'm facing this way and there's a bucket on the ground that I'm throwing things in, you are in like grownups is not going to pay off you would see grownups decrease immediately. It would immediately be replaced by bucket eating behavior. 
right? So it's extinction for grownups. And just like when you turn back this way, it's extinction for eating out of the bucket. Mm -hmm. There's an extinction piece there, but it's the entire context isn't all extinction. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if, if in that way of structuring things, could you say that if I've got, let's say, four behaviors that I've been working on that have cues attached to them. So I've got head lowering and grown-ups and backing and targeting. That <clears throat> when I ask for head lowering and I use the cue for head lowering, that I am extinguishing <laughs> the other three behaviors. You are. Okay. Because you're teaching in the presence of this context, that's not the behavior that I want. And in fact, okay. if you don't do that, if you don't have, well, okay, so this is I, more on this later, asterisk, asterisk. If you don't do that or a couple of other things that we'll talk about later, then you won't get a good cue, mm -hmm. right? If I cue head lowering and I click and feed any old thing that you do after that, my cue isn't going to mean anything. So you have to have these little bits of of extinction for some responses or differential contingencies in some ways, different outcomes for some responses, or you don't get cues at all, that function as cues. And in this, in these two scenarios, the one, whether it's the one I describe or the one that Alex just described, where you're working on four behaviors, these little extension, because you have these clear cues, there's no big frustration there, is it? Is there? There's no frustration at all. No frustration at all. If you've taught them appropriately. Mm -hmm. That's why I keep right. saying, like, have you taught this at home before mm -hmm. you pulled it out at the clinic? Because if you haven't taught it, if you pull that out at a clinic and now there's a bunch of things going on and all of a sudden, like, I usually am teaching things in really tight loops, but now I expect you just to eat out of this bucket or I put hay in front of you, like, why aren't you eating it? That's where you're going to see that you, you don't have it under that cue. You don't have that context control. And that's where you're going to end up with a really frustrated learner who says, why aren't you, why aren't you following the rules right now, human? I am like, don't you see this beautiful grownups that I'm giving you? This is the best grownups that I've ever done. What more do you want from me? Oh, I'll, I know I'll rear up, right? Like I'll make myself. <laughs> Right. bigger because you clearly don't see me right now. And so that's where you start to see some of the other side effects of extinction is when you haven't, when you haven't prepared your learner for sometimes we're going to be doing this and you're, there's reinforcement available for it. And sometimes we're going to be doing that and there's reinforcement available for it. And sometimes we're going to be doing the other thing and there's reinforcement available for it, but you got to teach that carefully. Yeah. I see two places when I'm giving lessons where where this is very visible. One is when the, the person who's working the horse has run out of treats and asked somebody to bring them more treats, but they haven't gone through a teaching process to teach the horse how to stand quietly while they refill their pockets because when they're working on their own and it's not in a lesson, that's not typically how they refill their pockets. And mm -hmm. so you, you see just classic extinction behavior. Why, why, why am I not being reinforced for all these lovely behaviors 
that I was just working on. But oh, by the way, you've got a bucket of treats there. So why shouldn't I dive for it? And then the other place is at the end of the lesson where I might, where we're sort of doing a wrap up. And again, this isn't something that typically you do day by day by day when you're working your horse. So people don't tend to go through a teaching process, teach their horse how to stand quietly next to them while they chat with somebody else. And I will see extinction behavior popping in. So Alex, you, you gave me the scenario of what happens when you're at the clinic and you don't have a bucket or a handler. And so you just shift to, I'm just going to feed, right? Like I went from, I'm, I'm in a tight loop and I am clicking and feeding to, I am now just feeding. And so the interesting thing about that is something that we know about extinction. And so you're shifting into extinction at that point. Like I'm shifting into extinction for whatever loop I was just in. The fun thing about extinction is that the patterning of behavior during extinction reflects the patterning that was in place when the reinforcement schedule was there. That's, let me say that in real people words. So what that means is that if I was in a really predictable loop where I engaged in a response, I cued something, my horse did it, I had a smooth reinforcement process that was delivered and that is happening with some, with some rhythm. Okay. Like a good loop should. Like a good loop should. The rhythm of the behavior when you step into extinction will persist. So the rhythm of the horse's behavior in extinction, in the early part of extinction before it gets disrupted, persists. So interestingly then what happens is if I shift to what we call response independent reinforcer delivery. There's no requirement. I'm just giving you food. Okay. If I stay in the same rhythm as before, what I tend to catch is the same behavior as in the previous loop. So if I have a nice rhythmic loop happening, horse shifts into grownups, I click and treat. 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 Now I need to do something else, but I've got myself into a pattern or a rhythm. When I shift, now the horse is going to shift into grownups, I feed. When I remove my hand, what does the horse do? That's a cue to shift into grownups. Shift into grownups. Well, I'm not paying attention to the horse anymore, but I'm in a rhythm, so I feed. What have I just fed? Grownups. Grownups. Right. So then I remove my hand, I remove the food. I because that's what's hot, the horse shifts into grownups. Right. So so long as you are savvy enough that you can maintain your rhythm when you shift from requiring grownups to I am now just like I am feeding while I'm talking to the audience, if you can do that and maintain that rhythm, what you're likely to get completely accidentally is whatever your hot behavior was. And you're likely to maintain that superstitiously. It's at that point, a superstitious maintenance of behavior. And it harkens back to early work that was done by Skinner on superstition and pigeons. So Skinner showed that when he operated the grain hoppers in boxes, just based on time, and did this for a day or two, 
he got systematic patterns in the behavior that was observed. And it's because you're reinforcing something when you deliver right. the food. Right. And so if you can stay in that rhythm and you have just had a hot loop, you're likely to catch whatever you were just reinforcing. If you're not a sophisticated handler, this would be really hard for me to do, for example, to like stay in that same rhythm, you know, while I'm talking to a crowd, I'm just not that, I'm not that skilled. If I'm not able to stay in that rhythm, I'm going to start reinforcing whatever is happening at the moment that I feed. And if that doesn't happen to be grownups, I might reinforce pawing or rearing or anything else of those little, like if I'm delayed, and now I've started to shift too much into reinforcement withholding extinction, I can get into some real trouble real fast with that. So the, the example that I'm that I think of, the place where I just feed is around foot care. And it goes back to Peregrine in his stifles. And because when we when especially early on in his life, when he was wearing shoes, when the shoes were pulled, his hind legs would just lock up tight. And it was a real struggle for the farrier to work with him and get the shoes back on because the leg does have to bend in order to get to get the foot up to put the shoe on. And when the leg is locked, it's a problem. So what I found that, that there was no way that I could have my that particular farrier foreseen, you know, marking Peregrine for appropriate moments, it just wasn't going to happen. So he was not going to be able to say, oh, yes, I just felt him relax a little bit. I'm going to click and you and you can give him a treat. That was not going to happen. And and it didn't work for me to be marking because the farrier wasn't stopping. So I just resorted to feeding, feed, 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 feed. And I, I my only goal really was hoping that the food would help to offset how unpleasant this experience could be. And mm -hmm. that if I could just get the cooperation of the front end, I was better off than having no cooperation at all. Mm -hmm. And and it worked. It was it was a good strategy. So it was feed, 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 feed. And I have to, would have to think about was there a rhythm there? There probably was because there was this, you know, it was as soon as he's got the food, it's back in my pocket and I learned how to hold the treat. So it took would take him a while to take a treat off of my hand so that he wasn't eating three days worth of grain in one trip for one trimming. But I'd really have to think about that in terms of what resulted from that use of treats. Well, you characterize it as feed, 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 feed. But knowing you, I would be hard pressed to believe there wasn't some contingency in there, right? So if he was actively dancing or yanking a hoof away, I doubt that that's the point at which you would, you might hesitate for a second before you deliver that next treat. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm visualizing what I was doing. And I would not want to say either way, whether I just would keep feeding regardless or whether there was a hesitation. 
So I do the same thing for the fairy with my horses. I feed, 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 except that there is, if I am at the point that I would feed and they do something that I think like that has the potential to be a dangerous behavior while you've got a farrier underneath you, there is a, a moment's breath while they kind of regain themselves and then I resume. So that's actually a a little bit different because there are different outcomes, right? Are you standing appropriately? And what I'm doing is pairing, like when the farrier is here, your life is super spectacular and making the farrier somebody that my horses are really excited to see because seeing this truck pull up means that my life is about to get great. Right. Or are you also this piece of like, if you're, if you start to go a little sideways, like we need to fix that and get you back into a place where you're standing safely before the food keeps coming. And I wonder um, if you did kind and, of the same and thing. The, the reason I'm hesitating now that I think about this is because it's been probably a dozen years since I've had an actual farrier and I'm now the farrier, but I have somebody else doing the feeding. So I don't know. My instructions to them are, just feed. So, so it, are it, you it, feeding when there's one foot being worked on? And so you're feeding when there are three feet on the ground? Or are you also feeding when there are four feet on the ground? I want, yes. from when I'm trimming, I want the, as soon as we begin the trimming process, so three the instructions foot- are just feed. So that means... As I approach the horse, file and actually hoof pick in hand, because I start by cleaning their their feet out and deciding on what needs to be done. But as soon as we enter into the foot trimming process, I want that horse on a continuous feeding protocol. And right. And and I don't want them pausing just because there's a foot on the ground. So if you put the foot back, do they continue to feed? Yes. Oh, so whether there's three feet or four feet on the ground doesn't right. affect the feeding. Correct. Okay. Is that true for you, Claire? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I do it too. Different horses I use different speeds with. So I have a I have a horse that spent a lot of time on the track. He's had shoes on since he was two. And so... He, I can leave him ground tied and go look at a hoof with a farrier and then come back and, you know, like he probably gets a pellet a minute, right? My new to me Mustang, it's like food. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, if you're standing reasonably and you're letting the farrier come near you, there's food. It's great. This is wonderful, right? And then we'll, we will reduce that over time probably as he gets better and more comfortable. And I don't feel like I need that much pairing, but yeah, it has nothing to do with what they're doing apart from, for me, if, are you, are you being safe? Or are you being unsafe? That's my criterion. And so for Alex, would we say then that it's just Pavlovin, it's just an association with the farrier, farrier's work or you and that, because now it's you, Alex, but it's not, it doesn't matter what the learner's doing then it's just classical conditioning. Is that yes. true? What is what what are we doing? I know I know what I'm doing, 
but how would you describe what I'm, what we're doing? How would I describe it or how would Dominique describe it? How would you describe it in terms oh, of- Oh, I would say, if you're just feeding, I would say that's Pavlovian, right? Like that's a classical conditioning. It's classical conditioning plus learners can only do so many things at once. So if it's classical conditioning plus distraction, right? Like I'm getting, there's something for you to do right now that doesn't involve squirming or, you know, wrenching feet in weird positions, right? Like you have, there's something to occupy your behavior, right? Which is like, you are in the reinforcement side of the loop and you just stay there. So I don't know that it's wholly Pavlovian, but I, I, you know, I don't think anything's wholly Pavlovian or wholly operant. Like there's both of those sides. The horse is eating. The horse is eating, Yeah, you know, and to the extent that they are eating, they are probably less motivated to be running away or to be, you know, engaging in active avoidance behavior. Right. right? And that has Pavlovian sides of it too. They they can certainly jerk a hind leg away mm. and look very innocent and, and eat on the front end. But there there are a lot of things that they're not. So let, if we want to go back to the extinction, if yes. you were in that scenario and your phone rang and you just had to leave your horse with the farrier, boy, that's extinction. After that rhythm of feeding, 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 yeah, I, it's I suppose though, it's, it's, like it's different Pavlovian. if you feed if you feed one pellet a minute, but if you're feeding, 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 and then you're going away, it's not the same thing, is it? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a huge shift in context. I actually don't know what would you know. It's interesting to think about what that what that would look like. One side of it, if you take a more Pavlovian tip to it, you might say like, well, that farrier is going to continue to carry some conditioned positive associations for some period of time and things might be fine. So long as you don't do that every time the farrier comes, that would be the sunny side of it. You know, I think if you otherwise drop out, if you take a more operant side and you say like the, the function of this is that the horse is spending a lot of time eating and therefore they're not doing inappropriate things. And now the eating is gone. It opens a wide, opens a door wide open to all kinds of inappropriate things. Yeah. So, and the horse has an expectation that when the hoof stand comes out, this is not just foot cleaning. This is trimming, and there that is different behaviors from I'm just cleaning your feet, and but you have an expectation of oh, I'm going to stand here and somebody's going to feed, 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 feed me, but that person isn't there, I would expect the behavior to deteriorate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, you had started to tell us one, two, three. One was two, three, a procedure. One. <laughs> we're, all, we're still at one. Aren't we're we? still at one. Yeah, yeah, okay. We're still at one. <laughs> So one is the, there's three aspects, three ways that we talk about extinction. One is a procedure. The second is a process. So behavior analysts use the word extinction to talk about a behavioral mechanism or a behavioral process through which a previously reinforced response is reduced because it no longer results in a reinforcer. So this is what happens to behavior and the course of that behavior change because you did this procedure. Okay. So, and then, so, so back up a minute. So process versus procedure. 
make the distinction. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, the distinction is really important. The distinction probably isn't as critical in your community in a horse training community. If you're thinking about training context where you have, you know what the reinforcer is. And so you're pretty sure if you wanted to do, if you wanted to put a behavior on extinction, you're pretty sure about what, how to do that, right? Like I'm going to stop feeding because it's the food that is maintaining the behavior. In my clinical work, so for listeners who haven't heard me talk on the podcast before, I do a lot of school-based work where I use behavior analysis to help kids manage their behavior in schools. I'm working in the schools and a student is engaging in behavior that I don't want them to engage in. I want them to engage in something else. And I want to reinforce that something else. And I no longer want to reinforce flipping tables, <laughs> yelling obscenities at their teachers. I don't always know what the reinforcer is that's maintaining mm -hmm. that behavior. Okay. And so a lot of textbooks and particularly um, behavior analysis resources that have been aimed at teachers and early resources, we're got, we've gotten a little better about it, used to talk about extinction procedurally, right? What you would do is planned ignoring. So don't attend to that behavior and instead attend to something else. And that works really well if the function of behavior is of the behavior is to get attention, right? right? But if the function of the behavior is to get out of doing the work, right? now all of a sudden when you flip a table, your teacher uses planned ignoring, which means that they stop asking you to do the work and they walk away, you have just beautifully gotten out of the work. So we see these kind of things that are labeled procedurally as extinction, like planned ignoring, it's kind of the most prototypical one. It's labeled as an extinction procedure. It may or may not lead to the process of extinction, right? Mm -hmm. It may or may not actually extinguish a behavior if you use them. So you've gotta be careful with with saying that something is extinction just because it looks a certain way. You really need to put a pin on what the reinforcer is that's maintaining the behavior. So in the horse world, if you got a horse, and I'm thinking of some of the horses that we've seen in the early stages of some of the clinics, right, where they're engaging in this behavior and it's not clear what is maintaining it at the moment, right? Are you, is this a horse that's just terrified of everything or is it this particular person or is it like something in the environment in particular that was scary or are they, have they been taught to do this through a actually a positive reinforcement history historically that's kind of gone awry. And so it's, they're actually like, there's a food reinforcer, a history of food reinforcement that's maintaining it. And so if you don't know, it's harder to like pin the, procedure and the process together. And you might have to take a stab at a procedure and hope that you get the process. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. it does. It, it's a bit like saying this this cookie is is reinforcing the child sitting in a chair, but but you haven't measured whether sitting in the chair is increasing. So you don't mm -hmm. know if eating the cookie is Forcing anything. So, yeah, you have to. Or if you didn't deliver it at the right time, you might have reinforced something else in time. Correct. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So, procedure and process. And then the third way that we use the term extinction is as an outcome. So, to say, like, that behavior has extinguished, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And so, the outcomes of extinction, the one that people most commonly think of, and the one that that is you know, when people do extinction on purpose is that a behavior is reduced. It is really important 
we say behavior is extinguished. And that sounds like it has gone the way of the dodo bird and it is no more and shall never return. You know, like it is extinguished. And that sounds very permanent. And it sounds very like organismic, like this learner no longer has the behavior. It has been extinguished. And that is like absolutely not true. It's like way far from the truth. So even the outcomes of extinction are usually transient and circumstantial. Behavior is extinguished within a particular context. And if you change contexts, it will not be extinguished in the other context. And that is something very useful to know, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so just doing extinction in one place doesn't mean that that learner has unlearned anything or that that behavior is gone. Do you it mean that, that if I work really hard on grownups in the horse's stall, so the horse is no longer biting me, that when I take him out in the arena and he starts biting me again, that somehow or another there's, I'm, oh dear, I thought that behavior was extinguished forever. Yeah. No. 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 So you would have to generalize the extinction. Yep. Bring it yeah. in many, many, many different contexts and situations and there might still be something you haven't worked on that would trigger the behavior again yep and we can talk about all the ways that you can trigger the behavior again there's lots of them it turns out but yeah extinction effects and outcomes are very circumstantial and in some ways that's like oh that's a bummer i did all this work in the stall and now i have to do it all again in the arena so there's a couple and it, but in some ways it's maybe kind of good because there are it, extinction done in certain ways doesn't just lead to that decrease in a previously reinforced behavior it leads to other outcomes we like we might want these in some circumstances and we might not want them in some circumstances. Mm-hmm. So one of them is that extinction induces variability in behavior. So it makes behavior start to look different or happen at different times. So in this way, we can generate new forms of behavior by little bouts of extinction. And in fact, this is the whole This is one of the bases of shaping is to get these little like micro bouts of extinction where you nudge the behavior, where you get the knee to lift just a little bit higher in that leg lift, or you get the, the neck to bascule out just a little bit more. And it, it becomes the next iteration of the response that you then capture with a reinforcer, and then you shift your criterion and your shaping to that new response. And that's an extinction process. That's actually one that we want to have happen sometimes is we want that next little iteration of behavior and behavioral variability. So sometimes though, that behavioral variability can get a little too variable, right? When we start to tip into macro extinction, where we're not just nudging the behavior and that next little bit doesn't work, right? I lift my knee up a little bit higher, but that doesn't work. I bascule my neck out a little bit more, but that doesn't work. I take a bigger diagonal step backwards and look at how pretty that was, but that doesn't work. Then your variability increases often even a little bit more and sometimes a lot more. And so you can get huge steps back. This is where I think like people who start to teach, I I had a horse that came to me that was taught bowing, 
And I like had to work really hard to unteach bowing because anytime it was a, one of the default behaviors that came installed in this horse. And anytime anything went kind of sort of sideways, like I got bowing and he was on mm-hmm. one knee and it, like life was not good. So we get, we can get bigger forms of variability that are not necessarily what we're looking for. So using extinction to produce that variability needs to ideally be deliberate. We need to keep our eyes out for like what that next iteration is and be ready to step in and reinforce it. And if you don't get that next iteration right away, know that like something's gone wrong, right? And you need to rewind and kind of step back to a previous criterion and get your learner set up for success a little bit better rather than just waiting it out. I think sometimes people wait it out to get the next iteration of the response. And if you wait it out, other bad extinction things can happen. So those other bad extinction things can be emotional responding, negative emotional responding, frustration. You get extinction-induced aggression. So learners are more likely to become aggressive when they're in these macro levels of extinction. Extinction appears to be associated with elevations in learning-associated hormones like cortisol. So interestingly, a little bit of cortisol elevation helps you learn things better. You've probably though know that cortisol is also a stress-related hormone. And when you get too much cortisol in your system, that actually inhibits learning. And so macro extinction, a, a colleague and I are looking into this right now. We think that kind of macro levels of extinction might result in kind of cortisol dumps that are associated with these kind of frustration, aggressive responses, because there's legitimate hormonal changes happening in your learner's body in these extinction episodes. So a little bit is good, but a lot is not, is Right. She's been learning a lot about cortisol from a neuroscience colleague of mine lately. The other piece though, is that extinction results in the reemergence of previously learned behavior. So I mentioned a moment ago that I can't, I I acquired a horse who had been taught to bow and like a makeover challenge, right? It was like a cute trick. And when we were figuring each other out and there was, we would hit periods where there was a little bit too much extinction, I would just get bowing. Yeah. If you have a horse that has a previous learning history of, of what works in extinction to make extinction stop is rearing or biting or bolting, we'll get the reemergence of previously learned behavior in macro extinction. If you have a horse who's learned that grownups pays off really well or happy faces pays off really well, you will get reemergence of those previously learned responses in extinction. So one of the things, just to interrupt for a second, one of the things that I observed early on in the exploration of clicker training was the very first behaviors that the horse learned via clicker training tended to be behaviors that when the horse was uncertain, he would start throwing at you, which is why I was so careful in choosing the six less foundation lessons that I chose, because if a horse is going to start throwing something at me, if a horse is feeling a little confused or a little frustrated, I would much rather have him dropping his nose to the ground than rearing up. I would much rather have him backing out of my space rather than crowding into my space. So if that is indeed the case, that they are going to start throwing those early behaviors, which is what we were observing, then let's choose carefully. Because I saw these horses 
where somebody had taught, oh, it's, you know, let me teach my horse to bow as the first behavior. And so you would get bowing thrown at you or, or there's one horse that had been taught to target his hindquarters to the person. So when he got a little excited or a little uncertain, he would swing around and start backing towards you to target his rear end to the handler, which it was a learned behavior in the context of the relationship may have been okay, but it's a little disconcerting when it's a horse you don't know. (laughs) Yeah. 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 There's good evidence of what is called primacy and recency effects in terms of what comes back. And it aligns perfectly with what you just said, Alex. So the, the two responses that tend to come back of those previously learned responses, the primacy effect is exactly what you said. It's the response that was first learned in that context. So it's the primary first one. Okay. And then recency effects are the one that you just worked on. Okay. So those are the two things that you can expect to come back first, usually, but the more things, the more appropriate responses that a learner knows, the less dangerous that recurrence of previously learned responses is. And so in fact, when I'm working with students, we like to teach them multiple ways to ask for the reinforcers that had been maintaining their challenging behavior historically, because if the teachers don't respond to the first one, I want them to to raise their hand and then I want them to say, excuse me. And then I want them to tap a peer. And then I want them to like, I want them to have lots of things that can try to come back to solicit that reinforcement before they go back to flipping a table or engaging in severe aggression. Yes. So, yeah. So there's lots of outcomes of extinction and it's worth noting, maybe, I don't know. Some people have used extinction to talk about extinction of punished behavior mm, that is yes. when the when a punishment contingency is terminated mm-hmm. that what you get is a return to the previous behavior that is the elimination of the punisher or the dependency again that the response produces a punisher now and you get extinction of that too and the responding comes back but because we tend to talk about extinction in the context of positive reinforcement and elimination of behavior sometimes talking about it in a punishment context gets confusing i i I think it's a really important one to talk about because Mm -hmm. I, i think it it is the explanation behind those situations where people are they they start clicker training and they've had this really well behaved in quotes, really well behaved horse, who suddenly is becoming just an absolute terror, Mm -hmm. who's biting at them and aggressing into their space. And this horse, it's like, he was always so well behaved. And then I started giving him, you know, clicks and treats. Stop giving him food. (laughs) Yeah. It's the advice they get. Yeah. And and I think that this is a, a good way of understanding that you have removed the threat of punishment. And what you are seeing are all those behaviors that were being suppressed mm-hmm. by the punishment. And do they, do they, it seems almost as though the rebound may be even greater than the original behaviors. But I don't know if that's indeed the case. You mean in the case at. of extinction of punishment? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I... I would be speaking beyond my knowledge of the literature to say like, this is what 
you know, I can tell you a citation for a study that looked at that. But I think that to the extent that you have a learner who hasn't been able to access reinforcers, right? Like this, this response, like biting you, it was, is a way for me to tell you, I don't like what's happening and I want you to get away. And there hasn't been a way for me to do that without encountering some punishment, but there's also been some amount of deprivation of that ability to control the environment. And so I could yes. definitely see why when the punisher was removed, that you get this like big, and now I can control my environment again, and I'm going to go for it. Yes. You know? Yeah. So that makes sense, theoretically. Be interesting to look at. I'll dig for some data on that. Okay. I'm sure somebody's done it. Yeah. So <laughs> all of that, I don't know how, like, there we go. That that is how behavioralists talk about extinction, which I thought was going to be this little unit of... So this was the introduction to our conversation. <laughs> what is extinction? And how do behavior analysts talk about it? Yes. <laughs> so So now that we find it, how do we make use of it? Or how do we avoid the pitfalls of extinction? Yeah, I think those are those are great questions. So I think maybe a piece to talk about is is macro versus micro yes. extinction yes. in that domain. This is a good place to stop for now. Next week, we'll jump in with macro extinction, extinction bursts, and a really interesting concept that I think is very relevant to training and that really hasn't been talked about very much, and that's behavioral contrast. But for now, I want to talk about the new book, Modern Horse Training. If you are listening to this podcast after April 26, 2023, you'll be able to go right online and order it. It will be available through my website, theclickercenter.com, and of course through Amazon and other booksellers. If you are listening to the podcast before the 26th, you will have to be patient just a little bit longer. You'll be able to pre-order it soon. That's not quite set up yet. The book is going to be available both as an ebook and as a print copy. That will be very good news for those of you who are overseas. Every time I ship a book overseas and the the international shipping cost is literally as much or more than the book. It just makes me cringe. So you'll be able to order it as an ebook if you wish, but the book is also going to be available as a print copy. I should be telling you what's in the book. For now, I'll just give you the major stats. The print copy is over 300 pages, so it's roughly twice the length of the step-by-step book. The table of contents alone is nine pages. So to say that this book is packed is an understatement. The format is very different from the step-by-step guide in pictures. For one thing, modern horse training has lots of text and very few pictures, but don't let that put you off. It's written to be very readable, very accessible. I want it to be used and enjoyed. And that's what I hope you'll do. I've been writing a series of blog posts that describe not so much what is in the book, but more about why I wrote it, why I think this work needs to be shared, and what has been changing, not so much in the what and how of how I work with horses, 
but more how I structure the lessons to make them even more accessible for you, your horse's teacher, training partner, and hopefully best friend. You'll find those posts at theclickercenterblog.com. So while you're waiting for the book to come out on April 26th, you can enjoy those posts. Again, that's theclickercenterblog.com. So have fun, train well, and next time we'll jump back into the discussion of extinction, and I'll have more information about the new book, what's in it, and how you can order it. Music